Well, academics don't feel free to air controversial opinions. That's according to a survey commissioned by the Free Speech Union and carried out by Courier Market Research. And today we speak to the Chief Executive of the Free Speech Union, Jonathan Ayling. Well, with me I have the uh, Chief Executive of the Free Speech Union, Jonathan Ayling. Jonathan, good to have you on my blog. Thanks for having me. Now, let's just talk about this uh, survey of academics. Firstly, can you just tell us who was surveyed? So this came from a data set of almost every academic in the country. We didn't reach out to all of them, uh, but we, we took a random sample from that and, uh, and have had about 450 academics participate. So we've done this along with Courier Market Research, one of the, the most well-reputed polling companies in Wellington, and, uh, and they've uh, helped us with these figures and endorsed the final product. And so it's pretty concerning what we've seen there, given the response we've received. Okay, and just before we look at the results, pretty good buy-in from academics, you know, you didn't get any resistance or, you know, leaning to one side? Oh, uh, well, I don't think the uh, the academy, I don't think we'd consider universities very unbiased places. So I think I think it does, uh, re the, the results themselves reveal that there is bias with our university. I'll let you and your listeners decide whether that's a good thing or a bad thing. That's that's not our role. But um, no, certainly there is, there is resistance. So quite a few academics would much rather us not be talking about this issue. Ironic, I find, that that we're there, one of the only parties in the country talking about uh, academic freedom, that we're there standing up for their right to research without fear or favor. I don't know why they wouldn't want us to do that. Um, but no, there, there's been considerable resistance and quite a lot of bias. Yeah. And I mean, based on the results, which you're about to tell us, it's quite clear that they are concerned. So tell us, what was your sort of baseline findings? Uh, well, I mean, across the board, it's fair to say that, uh, academic freedom is in poor shape in New Zealand and that that's really concerning. Uh, this is the second year that we've done this uh, academic freedom survey and uh, we are following on in a slightly different format. We changed the survey slightly so we can't uh, say track it exactly but we can kind of say within KUI um, every metric that we uh, have have researched uh, has declined from last year to this year. And, and mostly uh, these are based just off the definition of academic freedom in the Education and Training Act. So uh, not that I think uh, many of your people will spend a lot of time on Twitter and, and probably they're better off for it. But if, if you go on there, you'll see people going, well, isn't this about free speech? Why is the free speech union interested in academic freedom? Academic freedom is a different thing. And fair enough, it is. Academic freedom uh, and free speech is not uh, are not the same thing. But uh, we We've taken the definition of academic freedom within the Education and Training Act 2020, and according to the criteria that it lists, asked academics within their own universities to say how free they feel. And you know what? People may not feel free, and but they are free in reality. You know, so this is saying how the academics feel. Yeah. Uh, we're not a think tank. We're an employment union. We're an advocacy group. Uh, we'll let other people do the 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 big white papers. What we're saying with this report is. Are you going to argue it doesn't even appear that there's a problem here? So our basic claim is, where is the tertiary education union? Why aren't they doing this work? Where's, where's the tertiary education commission? Where's the minister of education? Where are the vice chancellors of the universities who, whose primary role it would be to 
create an environment where academics can research and and come up with solutions to the many problems that are facing our society. And so uh, that's really our battle cry is why are we the ones having to do this work? Uh, and and hopefully we'll get some cut through and see some people go, well, we may not like the way you do it, but we'll look into this ourselves and fine, do it your own way. But but as long as people feel like they are able to contribute to these conversations. Okay. And, and you found out that what about about half of academics don't have a sense of freedom. Is that right? So across uh, all those criteria, one of the aspects is the uh, how comfortable they feel to participate in conversations where they would be expressing an unpopular or a controversial view. And if you think about the conversations that that these academics are having, um, the, the right off the right answer is often unpopular or controversial. You know, if we're challenging assumptions, if we if we're positing solutions to issues that we haven't solved yet, the likelihood is the the generally accepted way of doing it, which isn't cutting it, isn't uh, good enough, and and those that counter it is that's going to be an unpopular perspective to put forward. Mm. And forty four percent of academics across the survey uh, said they felt comfortable. The rest yeah. said that they didn't feel comfortable. So a clear majority, um, a majority at five of the eight universities of academics mm. did not feel comfortable. And, uh, and and this is really concerning. I mean, I think you and I both agree that uh, our, our society, our culture uh, is facing really significant challenges and we need novel approaches. We need open conversations to stimulate yeah. really uh, provocative ways of pursuing progress. And uh, and if we are if we're left with popular and conventional approaches, they're just not going to cut it. Uh, and so I think we should all be concerned by the fact that uh, you know the university isn't the only body or the only party that we look to to provide solutions for our society and culture. But I'm quite okay with them being a key component. Individuals who have dedicated their whole lives to studying very specific yeah. questions. I would hope that they would have insights into the the paths we should pursue forward. And yet. Uh, if if they are coming from the wrong perspective, if they're wrong think, if they if they are from the wrong background themselves, uh, and they don't feel free to participate in these conversations, there's a portion of the academy that is saying, "Well, good, they should feel afraid. We don't want their we don't want their contribution anyway." Yeah. And uh, certainly throughout history. Uh, at one time or another, there have been parties that have been denied the right to participate in these conversations, to contribute what they have to offer. And we have all been poorer for it. And I would say today, yes, again, it is foolish if we if we think uh, now we can engage in this sort of activity again, but we'll do it properly this time. That's just not the case. No. Uh, to develop these novel solutions, we need everyone at the table. Okay, now I would I would assume that uh, in academia and in, in universities they would tend to be left leaning or more left leaning than right leaning, uh, uh, and yet these results suggest that even people, uh, left wing people, left leaning people are feeling a bit restricted. Is that correct? That that, that is correct. Um, Which is interesting. Absolutely. And so uh, what we were glad to see, you know, a, a trope which is uh, said about the free speech union, which is um, easily disavowed, but a trope that is is that we're only out there to defend right wing speech. And, and Bob, if I may, I think um, it's important that your listeners understand why that is the case. It's because we are often often defending right wing speech. We won't shy away from that. It is because for the most part, we are defending conservative speech or more traditional perspectives. Uh, and so 
at a, at a superficial level, if you look at our caseload and you go, well, these guys, they're just right-wing provocateurs, at least call yourself that. Um, I think Chris Trotter and Matt McCartan and Danger Row uh, would be surprised if they knew that they were endorsing and standing by such a right-wing provocateur group. Uh, mm. The reason is, is, is because... Uh, that's the sort of speech and those are the ideas that are primarily under attack in our society today. And it was interesting, several months ago, we had uh, Professor Nadine Strossen from the United States here, a, a, a lifelong uh, advocate for free speech, one of the global leaders across uh, across over 50 years defending free speech. She very much comes from the left uh, and, and she was the president of the ACLU, quite a left-leaning organization for quite some time. Uh, she said, we always face the same accusations that we, you know, that because... 30 or 40 years ago, uh, the speech that needed to be protected, the ideas that needed to be protected were often more left-leaning, uh, that they were a left-leaning group just because of who they were associated with. It's a very superficial, yeah. I would say quite misleading way of trying to uh, look at the claim. Why, why don't you face us on the claims we're making and counter in that regard? So so we were pleased, despite the accusations, which I think are disavowable, uh, that that it, 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 the, the data clearly shows that it wasn't just right-wing people answering the survey. Uh, a, a major portion of the university, according to other surveys, is left-leaning. This is um, echoed as well in the media. It's, it's not a conspiracy theory or a trope. Uh, a lot of research shows, for better or worse, and and I, you know, I think arguments can be made on both sides that uh, the the media is dominated by left-wing perspectives. The academy is as well, uh, and and. Yet even there, those that were on the left uh, did, often did not feel comfortable, did not feel free to participate in these conversations. And we broke down in, into some of those conversations, asked questions around uh, sex and gender, politics, religion, the Treaty of Waitangi and racism. Uh, and and it, it was interesting to see uh, the responses as to these subjects. People don't feel uh, at all constrained in criticizing religion and uh and i would say good uh, i don't want them to feel afraid to, to criticize religion i say i believe in free speech i believe in the value it has to let the truth float to the top and so i'm glad they don't feel constrained in that regard i'm really glad they don't feel particularly constrained to discuss politics i think that would be a, a, a very troubling space for us to be in if our academy was unable to criticize a government or criticize the opposition how, however that may work and, and largely i think they are free but there's some really important subjects that as a society at the moment we're trying to address and uh and and the data shows many academics do not feel free to engage in these or participate in these and one of them for example is the treaty of waitangi yeah. uh and and so a response another response to our survey is well academic freedom and free speech are not the same thing uh a, a, a an academic who is a professional in engineering uh, shouldn't be commenting on law and to tell them to sit down and shut up because they're not a lawyer or a legal academic is not infringing on their academic freedom. They need to stay in their lane. Mm -hmm. I think that can be overzealously applied. It, it, it appears sometimes unless it is the very thing you've been uh, studying for 40 years and it is the only thing you've ever considered, you're the only person who can comment on that. I think we need to take that in leeway, but we don't want mathematics professors commenting on history. But the claim is that the Treaty of Waitangi should impact... Every feature of the university and, and, and many other sectors as well, it's supposed to be all encompassing. You ask them, well, what part of the public service should the Treaty of Waitangi not touch? And they'll say 
no parts. It should touch all of that. It should it should be it have implications everywhere. Well, if that is the case, if that is the case in the university, as these uh, organizations are becoming what are called tetiriti led, it is to be an overarching structure that has implications everywhere. Well, then almost every discipline and every faculty will be impacted. There will be implications for those academics. And, and therefore, it is very much within their lane to say, well, you are claiming, whether rightly or wrongly, again, that's not our problem, uh, that, that the treaty has a place here. Okay, I'm allowed to have a comment about that now. I'm allowed to engage from my discipline within my expertise on that subject. Mm -hmm. And uh, and a lot of people would rather they they keep their mouth shut. And that's that's the troubling part as, as a... As our data shows that, uh, and this won't be a surprise, uh, but look at the statistics. We're not just we're not just making this up. Uh, men, particularly white men, particularly older white men, particularly older white men on the right, not much of a surprise. Feel very constrained in in their ability to exercise academic freedom, and. For those that are going to operate with any good faith in the university, you can disagree with men or older white men or older uh, white men on the right uh, and, and, and still say, but academic freedom matters and they, they're wrong, but they should be allowed to make their case. Yeah. Whereas the response that we receive from a lot of people is older white men on the right uh, feel like they can't participate in these conversations. Oh, good, good, because we've had enough of their contribution anyway. They can bugger off, and uh, and I would say that's that's not going to serve us well as a society going forward. E even if all they're doing is highlighting where they're wrong, and they are completely in error, at least at that point they are contributing the conversation at what is incorrect. Uh, simply shutting them out has never served any society well. Now, activist uh, Daphne Whitmore, she wanted to do a public talk at AUT on the subject of feminism, advocacy and free speech. It was a discussion about free speech in the context of uh, transgender, gender critical feminism debate. AUT said there was a bureaucratic error and cancelled it. Um, well, that was, was their first response. Uh, then we received several other er uh, issues as well. We're not exactly sure why the event could yeah. go ahead. So, so was gender and sexuality one of those forbidden uh, taboo areas in the controversial topics list? Absolutely. It, ra it rated slightly better than the Treaty of Waitangi. But again, about half of academics felt that they couldn't engage in this mm. without fear, um, without you know constraints on their academic freedom. And I mean, again, I would just like to highlight with Daphna Whitmore and the scenario we had at AUT when we were shut out uh, illegally, uh, you know, Daphna is a, a Marxist. She 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 she's not mm. left leaning. Uh, she's a radical leftist, and and she believes she has the intellect and the arguments to back that up. Again, good on her. That that that's her claim to make. Uh, but she's you know we've associated closely. She's done a lot of great work with with the Free Speech Union, and we're very happy to have her along to make the case for free speech. Yeah. Where different perspectives and different opinions can come together and say we can do far worse then let our enemy speak. And I think that, that that is the essence of the basic claim of free speech, that we will inevitably do far worse than letting the other side speak if we engage in censorship of one kind or another. And so around this issue of, of uh, gender specifically, uh, sexuality people felt quite uh, comfortable engaging with, but gender was a right. different question. Mm. Uh, absolutely, this is one of the, the three primary sacred cows or three primary taboos in our society today. And that's why the Free Speech Union is going to be uh, sponsoring a debate series as we go towards the election. We're going to have quite a, a, a large platform 
platform to have uh, some international speakers and some local experts come together and hash this out and let the public decide uh, around these issues because uh, we're not served well. These three uh, taboo subjects, for the most part, that we find that virtually no one feels comfortable engaging with, uh, they won't be a surprise to you at all. Gender, uh, with regards to critical gender perspectives or gender ideology, mm. uh, racism in the context it takes here in New Zealand Treaty of Waitangi, the role of the treaty, the role of partnership, co-governance, and thirdly is climate change. Uh, not not <laughs> even just, uh, you know, the, the, the some would want there to be a debate around whether climate change exists. I don't think there are that many people that are particularly interested in that debate, but the implications of that assumption that climate change does exist as to whether the government is the best party to approach that issue and, and the, the the response that is uh, that is called for in that regard, that's a very important conversation. Mm. If, if this is the existential crisis that many claim it is, we need to be able to talk about then as a society, how we bring people on board to address this. Uh, and again, I'll let your listeners decide whether it is that existential crisis or not. But uh, I think unfortunately in our society, as illustrated across these issues and and more broadly as well, we could we could think of many other examples. Uh, acknowledging that the other side might have something to say, or that or that even letting the other side might speak might strengthen your case, is is a very foreign concept to many people. I would love I would love those that I disagree with to reveal their error, and it makes my job a lot easier because for the most part, I think as people listen and ask good questions, and, and those are the two prerequisites of free speech really it is that you, that free speech presupposes you're listening uh and and it and it hopefully includes uh some provocative well-crafted questions as well i don't think as a society we do that well and certainly this report would indicate unfortunately the the place that should be doing it the best the academy is not doing it well either yeah, and just finally, um, you mentioned right at the start, you know, why isn't there more leadership from the top from government saying that we need academic freedom? There was the Education and Trading Training Freedom of Expression Amendment Bill that was defeated uh, last year, which would have required tertiary educations to protect freedom of expression. Uh, it was voted down by Labour Greens and Party Māori, which in effect sort of says, well, they're not interested in this space doesn't it? Unfortunately, it appears that is probably the case. Look, um, I would probably disagree with with where we would want that leadership to come with to an extent. Uh, for the most part, the free speech union doesn't, the, the censorship that we see rising, we don't think it comes from governments. Uh, you know, I, I, on, on a separate issue that the free speech union is working on uh, with regards to a, where we're opposing the disinformation project for some government money that they're uh, looking to acquire. Um, I was being interviewed by this the other day and they thought they said, oh, well, with Jacinda Ardern gone, we thought all this would have gone away. And I said, this is what the free speech union has been saying for years that censorship and opposition to free speech and the oppression of open debate is not emerging from parliament it is emerging from our culture and parliament is responding to that absolutely i'm not saying parliament isn't uh, there isn't a catalyst there it isn't being emphasized there the hate speech laws would have been a horrific oppression of free speech and that was very political mm. but it, it didn't start there 
you know, the, the, it, it has many um, contributing factors. The media, of course, is one. As I'm on with some journalists, they, they seem to think that it's only the media's fault that we're experiencing these problems. Again, I wouldn't, I would say the media plays a role, but it's not being caused by the media. Uh, I don't want to simplify it too much, but I would say if it is coming from anywhere, if it is being caused from any one place, it is the university with more and more of our young people going through this um, cultural formation process. They've been told what to think in many cases, not how to think. Yeah. Of course, they emerged there thinking very similar things and not being exposed to those who think very differently and unable to engage in that critical discussion. So uh, certainly uh, the Minister of Education has a role to play and legislation like the Academic Freedom Bill has a role to play. But I would be far more interested in vice chancellors yeah. picking up this mantle yeah. and, and the TEC and the TEU. We worked with uh, Dr. James McDowell on, on that piece of legislation, uh, no, not in drafting it, but we were very supportive of it. And uh, it, it was unfortunate that it didn't really even get to go to the select committee process to have public participation. Uh, the Minister of Justice at the time, Chris Farfoy, said that there were other approaches that they were intending on pursuing to address whatever problems might exist. Uh, we haven't seen any of those approaches emerge yet. And as I said at the beginning, it appears the survey would indicate that uh, the problem is getting worse, if anything. Yeah. And and that's why, you know, um, I, I was talking to, to one of our staff members the other day and he said, gosh, where are we going to be in 15 years? And I don't think I need to uh, convince you, Bob. I, I said, 15 years? Forget 15 years. Where are we going to be in two years? You yeah. know, things start to unravel pretty quickly once yeah. entire portions of the population, it, it appears. And that's overstating a little bit at, at the moment. But that's what we're heading towards. Certain yeah. portions of the population, by virtue of who they are or by virtue of what they believe, being unable to participate in these conversations. And yeah. uh, and that's why we, we constantly insist that free speech is the foundation on which our entire liberal, democratic, human rights structure is is based, and uh, I, I prefer to talk about civil liberties than human rights because I think it it um, it imagines the freedoms that we have been given, not just the rights that we have. I think that's an important distinction, and and without free speech, we can not have free thought, and we can't have freedom of conscience. If if today I cannot express what I believe tomorrow I won't believe it. It, it we as humans we have a very social way of of holding together some people have the ability to uh to hold a, a belief a, a, you know uh, in isolation and never lose that but but very few people have that for the most part we require that communal aspect of of giving and taking in terms of of how our beliefs are structured and unless we can discuss that unless debate is a part of that unless we are unencumbered by fear uh, to to actually express our perspectives, then then that freedom will be forfeited very quickly, and that's why whenever I speak with uh, with commentators or journalists who insist it's a liberal left versus a conservative right binary, I I just find that incredibly simplistic. I think we have to grow bigger than that. Going there, you know, as I've said, there are many on the left, and I think um, even even supporters of the family first, individuals within the church that sit on the left, I think they can feel quite isolated at times. Going well, I disagree with these subjects. But I do think the government should be involved in more taxation or whatever. Now, look, we can agree or disagree on that, but hopefully we are not going to fail to practice what we preach by shutting out those people. Uh, and, and I think a number of journalists uh, 
insists that the, the left is the problem and so they shouldn't be allowed to participate in the conversation around free speech anymore if anything the the left has actually defended free speech more than the right historically and that's not the case anymore but i hope we're able to uh to be inclusive in in, the, in that truly tolerant way and let everyone be part of the conversation there yeah oh well we do appreciate the uh, work of the free speech union and uh stoked to be associated with it in, in little ways so uh jonathan really appreciate your time on my blog today thanks a lot bob cheers